welcome back. Here we are again. Glad you found yourself coming back this way, back to the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. Before we get into the show, I'll just say today we have Joe Craven. Learning to be musical allows you the the conduit by which to move through your day practicing music. This is not the same thing as practicing mechanical skill set to tools. You are the music, not the tools. Anyway, more Joe in a minute, but uh, just I'll touch base with y'all. Just got back from High Sierra Music Festival. Such an amazing, great time as usual. And, uh, you know, I, I met a lot of folks there who were telling me they listened to the podcast, both musicians and music enthusiasts. And obviously, uh, I'm very touched and really appreciate uh, all the support and feedback. So I'll just keep saying um, it, it really helps if you feel like reaching out, just saying, hey, yeah, I, I listen to your show. Um, and thanks for doing what you're doing or yeah, but, uh, you could be doing this a lot better, whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, it's just nice to know that there's people, um, paying attention. So I appreciate that support. The set went well. Uh, the Terrapin, Terrapin station tribute we did went really well. It was, it was filmed. It'll end up, um, online at some point. I think there's already some stuff on YouTube floating around. I'm not sure if it's the official footage or not. And uh, did a few other things up there. Getting ready to go to Montana and Wyoming this week. Filling in a couple dates with uh, Region Hours Band, Assembly of Dust at the Targi Festival and in Big Sky, Montana. So if you happen to be out that way in Wyoming, Montana, definitely let me know. I'd love to um, say hello. And of course, you could reach me at all the social channels. Really easy to find online. So I don't need to bore you with the details but you can look me up and send me a note. Anywho, my guest today is somebody that, unfortunately, I, I, I'm regrettably, I, I'm going to say I, I wasn't aware of uh, his existence until, until quite recently, uh, a few months ago when I was getting ready to start the podcast and I was talking about it with a friend. And he said, oh, you're, you're doing a music podcast. That's great. You got to have Joe Craven on. And I said, okay, well, uh, who's Joe Craven? And then he told me a little about Joe Craven. And then as I started looking up Joe Craven, and then eventually uh, a little bit of time later, I would meet him and get to play a show together informally. Uh, this night we did at the Ivy Room uh, about a month ago, Page, Page Clem's Songs About Something. And um, it was a, a round robin style collaboration night, and I was sitting in on percussion, but it ended up just turning into this really uh, fun hootenanny where everyone was joining along, and I, I really got to experience um, Joe for myself. And and I, I must say, he's the kind of guy now that now that uh, going from not knowing who he was before, it's the it's the kind of feeling I have of oh, of course. Of course, Joe Craven exists. Of course, he's in the world. Such a such an, a colorful character, such a larger than life, inspiring person. Um, 
it, it, it makes total sense. The, the world would not be quite as uh, rich and unique and beautiful of a place without, without Joe in it. Joe is a master musician uh, who has played with the likes of, well, he, he's a, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a brilliant mandolinist and violinist, fiddle player, percussionist. He plays a lot of found objects. He's a vocalist. He um, played in the David Grisman group for almost two decades. He's played with the uh, virtuoso violinist Stefan Grappelli. He played with Jerry Garcia. He, he was the percussionist on the classic Jerry Garcia and David Grisman album, Shady Grove. He's played with David Lindley. He was in Allison Brown's band for, for uh, seven years. But beyond his musical accomplishments, he is also a educator. He's the executive director of the River Tunes, River Tunes California, which is an American Roots music uh, camp. He is the co-director uh, of the Youth Academy at Wintergrass, Seattle, another music education project. He's contributed to Gran Grammy Award-winning records. He is also a festival MC, MCing at Del Fest. Tellurad Bluegrass Festival, Hangtown Music Festival, K Wolf Music Festival. The he's kind of uh, he can he does it all pretty much. Um, David Grisman said about Joe, everything Joe touches turns to music. And when we shared the stage that night at the Ivy Room, I could really see that in all the all the other musicians and uh, audience members there. It, it was palpable how how uh, how how just Joe kind of embodies, embodies music. And, and we talk about that process for him in this interview, and he has a lot of knowledge. He's, he's 60 years old. He's been doing this for a long time, has an interesting history and lots of insights about that. So I'm not going to give away two more. I'll get into it. But anyway, I think you're going to love it. And without further ado... Please enjoy this conversation I had with the one and only Joe Craven. How's it going? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm well. So I'm 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 wondering. I've been doing some some research on you lately, trying to get an overall picture, and you. Uh, <laughs> Good, good, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, you, I mean, and and I apologize for everything. <laughs> well, you have you have quite you 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 are you are somebody that has quite a lot of uh, of output as far as um, what you do in this world. Um, I'd say as an understatement. So I thought maybe a good place to start would be if somebody who listens to this isn't familiar with you, um, maybe you could give just, uh, an abbreviated, um, biographical, uh, description of who you are and what you do. And obviously we'll, we'll delve into all of it, but a little context to start. Born in Germany. Um, my father was in the military and I was in the air force. And then, uh, Soon afterwards, came back to the States, grew up in the Southeast, Georgia and the Carolinas primarily, although my, my dad was pretty nomadic with his, with his work, and, and so we moved around a lot. Um, went to a lot of different schools and, you know, had to, had to create 
landscapes with new friendships and new places, uh, you know, on a fairly regular basis growing up. So I like to think that was a great primer for me, um, for later in life, uh, you know, just adaptability and, uh, making friends, being in the moment, being ready for change at any time, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, took, uh, took an interest in the arts in general when I was pretty young, I was very interested in visual art and, you know, I was always, uh, would wind up being one of the designated, um, Joe, well, back in those days, Joey can, can, can he, you know, he can paint and draw. Let's get him to do the, the, uh, cross-section schematic of the Mayflower. You know, he's the guy, he's the, he's the guy. So it was kind of, you know, so as you can imagine, it's a mixed blessing, you know, you know, you start to gain a reputation for doing something well, but I loved it. And I, uh, I, so I started out with visual art. Then I got, I got connected to making music kind of after having an, an epiphanal experience hearing my first Jimi Hendrix record. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I was, I, I was raised as a, as a jock in the Southeast. It was, it was football, 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 kind of, kind of sort of still is football and basketball. Um, as in you're still into sports I, or, or in the Southeast uh, it is. No, no, I actually not so much. Um, but I mean, I love, I love it. I love physical activity. I'm not really into, I'm not into organized sports. I'm not into team sports, but, um, um, but I, but I, I, I love, I love the aesthetic of sports. I love the, the architecture of sports as it relates to teamwork. It has a direct correlation with, uh, with theater mm. in that regard. Um, which is something that, that I got interested in as well when I was young. Um, although in a kind of in a more formal sense, right around the same time I got interested in music. Um, I was, I was around 13 and heard that, heard that Hendrix record. And I, I knew it was rock and, and I, but I wasn't really, I had not heard an electric, I had not heard a guitar sound like that before. Right. And, um, Th- this and was kind of blew my mind. This was and, right when it was yeah. coming out. Yeah. 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 So what record old. was this? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, I could tell you the story. I've told this story many times. It's, um, um, I was throwing a football after a game on Saturday, on, on a Saturday afternoon with my friend in his front yard and his brother living, his bedroom window was up on the second floor and he had it open. It was a real nice day. And he had his little pair of realistic brand speakers that he put out on the windowsill and he put on this, his licorice pizza, a, a du jour, and uh, cranked it to 11. And I was all of a sudden, we just came blasting out in the yard. It was just, it was, uh, I was just, I was just so taken by it, you know? Um, and so I, I went upstairs and I pounded on his door, you know, cause of course he had to crank to 11, cracks the door open, says, what? I said, what, what are you listening to? Closing, he's kind of slammed the door. So I started to walk away dejected, heading down the stairs and he opens the door back up. And he slips the rubber jacket through and I run up and I grab it and I'm looking at the cover and it's this fisheye lens photograph of three guys with big hair and really cool clothes and the purple squiggly writing asking me if I was experienced. <laughs> and I thought, apparently not. 
<laughs> so I went, I, 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 I announced to my dad that I wanted an electric guitar and an amplifier the size of mom's refrigerator. Nice. And, um, and he went down and, and he, he, he looked in my eyes and he could tell that I mean, he'd never seen that in me before, you know, just to have that kind of awakening and that kind of directness and passion. Cause my dad was, you know, he was pretty intimidating <laughs> to me when I was little. So to have, have the gumption to come and do something like that was kind of a big deal. And uh, so he went down to the music store and he bought me a guitar and he came home and it was like a strummy strum Stella, you know, acoustic guitar, which was like, you know, wrong. So uh, we went yeah. back down to the music store and, and he humbly, you know, we, we had a little exchange and uh, got, a, got an electric guitar. Nice. And uh, I, I had, I had to work up to getting the amp the size of mom's refrigerator, but I actually did eventually. Excellent. Had a, had a, uh, ha, had a, had a cabinet with six tins in it, you know, piggyback rig on top. It's great. The brand was acoustic, acoustic. Yeah. Vintage, vintage gear, vintage gear by today's standard. Anyway. So, so I got, so I started doing, I got involved in rock bands. In high school, I'm uh, at this point. I've, I've moved from from Charlotte, North Carolina, moved down to Atlanta, and uh, and I'm in high school, and I'm getting involved in some some like I said, some garage rock bands with some friends of mine. You know, we sucked, and which of course is what you do, and but it doesn't matter. And even if people come over and say you suck, you are so connect deeply connected to what you're doing. Yeah, that you don't care. Yeah, right. It's just it's. You, you have, you're so alive and you're so, and you have found, you have found fellowship with people, mm-hmm. you know, guys. I mean, in my case, it was, it was guys, but you know, guys, you know, young men, young women, people just making this connection that is just un, unlike anything else. And then we, so we started getting better, you know, cause we, we, uh, we, we stuck with it and I was just learning to play by ear. I got a Mel Bay chord book, um, but that is as fa- that is as far as my formal education in music making went. Really, was that Mel Bay? Yeah, was that Mel Bay chord book on six string guitar, which eventually I moved away from and quit playing. Um, and and so this is just a little tidbit here about this part of the chapter. This first part of it is that one of the first bands that I was in was with a friend of mine who was a buddy of mine in my class in this fairly small school in uh, the North end of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and his brother, his brother played bass and he played guitar, but he played mostly rhythm guitar. And I was playing lead guitar, you know, hanging out and, um, had a drummer and, and, uh, a guy who would show up, come uh, once in a while and play a, a Farfisa organ, which was mm. this great, great sound. Um, but the guitar player's name, his brother was Ken Buck, and the guitar player's name was Peter Buck. And Peter went on, uh, after high school, he went off to uh, Athens, Georgia. Um, and I went off and did other things. And uh, he, uh, years later, um, I'm out. I'm, I'm now I'm out in California. I, I went through uh, college 
uh, undergraduate uh, degrees in museology and aesthetics. I was I kind of stayed on the pathway of the visual arts and uh, worked in art museums, uh, did curation and whatnot, and uh, it eventually led me to making a move post school out west. But I wound up all of a sudden one day seeing pictures of my old high school buddy uh, on cover on, on music covers, like, you know, like, you know, music trade magazines and whatnot, including Rolling Stone. And he was one of the members of a group called REM, which was, uh, you familiar with? I, I am familiar with REM. Yeah. I, I knew yeah. I'd recognize that name and I couldn't quite place it. Right. So what was really funny about all that was that I wound up, I went off, I went off to the university of South Carolina in Columbia, which is where I did my study. And, um, and I, that's when I, I discovered the mandolin. It was kind of an impulse by, you know, walking into a store and looking it up, looking up on the wall and seeing an old harmony bat wing, what they call the Batwing model harmony with a with a magnetic pickup bolted onto the top, um, you know, on the body, and I'm and it, so it looks kind of like a little electric guitar. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what's that? And he says it's a mandolin, but it's I guess you could call it an electric mandolin. I said, wow, can I can I check that out? Takes it down, I play it, plug it in. I'm like, I'm hooked because it was just different. I just was really captivated by the instrument itself. I didn't really know, you know and it's connection to any kind of genre of music or whatever. And so now at this point I've come out of high school and I'm really into fusion. Hmm. So what time period are we talking about? We're talking like the seventies, right? Which is a great, that's the decade of like yeah. the advent of fusion jazz, you know, coming out of miles, yeah. bitches brew period, Mahavishnu. weather report, whole Jocko thing, Mahavishnu, Jean-Luc Ponty, all of that stuff. Like Return to forever. Flipping out. Yeah. Right. Right. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, some people go, oh, the 70s, you know, disco and, you know, but no, no, no. This, this, the 70s was, I mean, it was a very provocative period of time in music, I think, in vernacular music. I mean, sure. there was, you know, punk was really getting, really finding its legs. And um, I mean, there was just so many really disparate forms of music that were really blossoming. You know, the idea of uh, contemporary or progressive bluegrass was happening. The advent of newgrass with, with the newgrass revival. I mean, it, I mean, you could, you know, you could talk about so many different sort of, you know, genres of music. You know, jazz, rock, even in the blues, but over even in in you know American Americana music, string band music. You know, with with the, with, with the shifts in bluegrass, it was an amazing decade. But anyway, um, I digress. So. Um, I, I get this mandolin and I'm just trying to relate to it as a guitar player, but I never, I kind of quit playing the guitar and, um, I got invited, you know, you had quit my playing mandolin. the guitar beat prior to this. I, yeah, just the mandolin. Because, no, 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 no. I just, you know, I, I was playing guitar, but then I picked up the mandolin that was just, it just, the guitar just kind of fell by the way. I see. I see. I just was so enamored with this little puppy. I was just like, God, how this is just so great. And, but, 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 but I hear I'm, I'm coming out of the whole fusion thing, you know, Frank Zappa, uh, uh, 
uh, I mean, so far, it, it's 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 interesting because so far everything you're talking about Hendrix Fusion Zappa, none of this d- makes me think of mandolin, and the right. you know and the fact that you you hadn't tied it to specific genres. So were you replicating those sounds on the mandolin or, tr- or trying to? I w- yeah, I, well, I was. I, mean, I was trying to you know and I put it through some you know I put it through through some pedals and distortion and all this stuff, but. But what happened was I'm sitting there picking my mandolin and I'm kind of working out my, you know, working out the chords and trying to figure it out. I'm going, this is so great. This is tuned like the violin. And my high school sweetheart was in the, in the high school orchestra and she was quite a, quite a fine player. And I used to sit and watch her practice. Mm. She practiced for hours, you know, every day, you know, the classical uh, uh, pedagogy. And I just would have, I just marveled at it and uh, and I thought god I could you know and then she would she would have me hold it and she would you know show me how to bow it and and it just was so alien to me I thought oh my god it's such an incredible instrument that I could just could never and I told her I think I could just never imagine playing this thing you know no frets nothing you know and of course I remember being a fiddle player it was, it was yeah just a gr- wonderful thing in itself that's a that's a great story for a, a, another time when she found me online looking for inspiration for her students. Wow. You know, some crossover, crossover wow. music. And she, fi- and she finds me and has no idea because we just had completely, you know, we were high school sweetheart sweethearts and that was about it. You know, so it was, that's a great, that's a great. And then how we reconnected that way is a whole other wonderful thing. But that's yeah, fine. so I'm doing all this. But so, so guys, so, 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 so guys were, walking by me I'm like i'm hanging out on campus between classes and playing this thing guys would come by and ask me if i knew pieces of music named after fruit you know like do you know blackberry blossom <laughs> do you know do you know, Ju- do you know june apple i was like <laughs> what the hell are you talking about <laughs> you know and then i get invited to a picking party my first my first kind of bluegrass picking party by this professor who was a great flat pick player. And I went and I was like, Oh God, no, 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 no. And I'm going, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting it with my childhood, watching the Beverly Hillbillies right. and listening to the theme. And like, I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I just keep, this isn't right. This isn't right for me. You know, I mean, it's cool. It's cool. I love the fact, you know, here's other people play. This is where the mandolin is. It, this is where its wheelhouse is in American music. I made that, that realization. Mm-hmm. Well, one day, and I almost kind of bailed on the whole thing, but I, I, you know, I come back and do it and I go, yeah, I got to get, you have to give it a chance, right? Sure. Got to give it a chance. And it's not that I didn't really like it. It's just that I was just coming from this completely, well, this perception of this very disparate, uh, landscape um but then two things happened i heard a record called olden in the way Mm -hmm. which was peter rowan and david grisman and uh vassar clements and john connell bass and uh and then this banjo player uh what was his name Uh, oh yeah jerry garcia right yes (laughs) yeah so that was cool, although it was still bluegrass, but, but, but it was what was going on with Vassar. 
that really intrigued me. It's like this guy, I've never heard fiddle playing sound like this. Hmm. And I realized, well, the guy was really, you know, he, he played with Bill Monroe. Of course, Pete did too, but he was chasing after something um, different. And I realized, oh, that's because he got really enamored with jazz and especially big band jazz and horn playing, you know, horn players on. And he was listening to other kinds of music other than playing bluegrass. And I went, oh, this is, this is the idea of crossover where you, you know, you are a product of your listening environment. Yeah. And that listening environment can be extremely broad. But the really cool thing that can happen if you allow it to is to let all those disparate forms create the blueprint of your originality as a musician. Mm. And that was, that was really important for me. So I was, I mean, that, I mean, it was a great, it, I mean, it wasn't like something that all came together at once, but I came to realize that's, that's really great. That's really cool. Thing that, one thing that was kind of met, it was messing with it was I was, you know, in, in learning a little bit about the world of bluegrass and the idea of tradition in any kind of music form is that you have, it's like politics. You have conservative and you have liberal or you, you know, you have progressive and conservative or progressive and traditional. And with that comes this landscape of correctness. Yeah. You know, something has to be played correctly, you correctly in, you know, in, in a variety of categories, you know, stylistically, mechanically on the instrument, um, uh, you know, just, yeah, it was very interesting for me. Um, and people would sit around and argue about it. So there was that olden in the way record. So that was kind of a cool thing. But then what happened later was, uh, I'm at one of these picking parties and we're taking a break and having a potluck and everybody sitting around eating. And this guy who was hosting this at his house, he had just gone down to the record store that day and he had just bought this new record and it, and it had this, still life photograph of instruments on the cover it was, you know, stand up bass, acoustic guitar, a fiddle and a couple of mandolins. And he thought, oh, okay, cool. And he knew the guy, you know, the name of the group, he knew the guy's name from bluegrass or kind of, from, you know, from, from other, other more grassy settings. So he puts this thing on and I'm sitting there eating and talking to this guy and I stop and I'm listening to the music and I just put it on in the background. And the, and the guy hadn't heard it yet. And I excused myself from the conversation and I went over and I sat down in front of the stereo, in front of the turntable and just sat there and watched the record spin and listening to what was coming out of it. And it, it was, it was another kind of epiphanal thing for me. Was this the old in the way record? I'm sort of like, no, no, I'd already heard old in the way. Okay. And, you know, but I'd, already, I'd heard the Vassar thing in it yeah. and that realization, you know, and I looked at the cover of the record and it said the David Grisman Quintet. Hmm. It was the first recording by the Grisman Quintet, which had Daryl Anger mm -hmm. and, uh, and Mike, uh, excuse me, Todd Phillips playing rhythm mandolin. Todd Phillips is known as a fine bass player. Actually, I've play, I, and I later on played with Todd in settings where that, that's what he did and does so well. But he played rhythm mandolin, Tony Rice on guitar, and uh, Bill Amatnik on bass, and of course David mm -hmm. on first first mandolin. So you have two mandolin players. The guy said, "Oh man, he's, he, he was so disappointed in the record," <laughs> and he and he realized, "Oh, 
oh man, I got, I got snake bit here because now I realized there was no banjo on the cover. He, he wanted more bluegrass. And he said, oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's what he wanted. Yeah. Because he was kind of a, he was kind of an old school guy. Yeah. He was more of a traditional guy and he wanted bluegrass. And he said, I'd heard, I'd heard of David Grisman. I'd heard David Grisman playing with, you know, just, blah, 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 and, and old in the way and all that. He said, do you want the record? I said, thank you very much. <laughs> so I took the record home and I wore it out. And I, Ezra, I'm not kidding you. I wore it out. Literally wore the grizz out. I had to go out and buy a new copy. Wow. Um, and that, so what that was doing was just furthering that whole thing of creating music that is out of music you already love. David Grisman loved and loves jazz and jazz, the you know, jazz in all its permutations. And he loves bluegrass. And he shared with me years later something that, of course, made total sense. It's related to what I was sort of start, starting to understand on my own with the Vassar. The Vassar factor is that I like that. The Vassar factor yeah. um, is is that uh, he David heard Monroe, and Monroe might have told him directly, or he overheard Monroe talk about. Um, you really need, you know, go out and make your own music. You know, which is an interesting thing to hear come from Bill because Bill's kind of like the Pope in bluegrass. Yeah. You know, and he's, you know, um, you know, the Monroe Doctrine and all this kind of thing. But but he he was really promoting the idea that you don't want to you don't want to just copy people. You know, you've got to have your heroes. You need to have your inspiration, your influences, people that that inspire you. But but really the inspiration. And now I'm paraphrasing all this, but. Sure. You know, I mean, I'm expanding on, on that idea that you really need to take all that stuff and you need to, you, you know, it's, it's not how, it's not really how well you play an instrument. It's what do you have to say on it? You know, absolutely. That, that's the, that's the deal. That's and, the thing. And, so, I, I, and, and, and it's, it's, I feel like it, I, this lesson is, is kind of learned, uh, constantly um or or comes up constantly but i I feel like there's this misconception amongst um some some groups of musicians that look at um you know they might look at someone like bill monroe or uh who is kind of a, a, a a founding father in in that particular genre of bluegrass or someone like charlie parker uh and 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 then get so caught up in in the idea of a genre and and trying and and kind of or even or even jerry garcia and 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 trying to like play by these rules of a certain musical genre when when if you think about it all these people they weren't you know they they created these rules by breaking you know they 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 weren't emulating they they weren't playing within a a certain rule book they were creating their own rule book so I, I feel like right. there's a great irony when people get, you know, say you have to play jazz like this or bluegrass like this or Grateful Dead music like this when it's like, no, that's the, the only reason it exists is because these people were visionary. Right. Exactly. Here's, here's, here's what I teach my students. This is the takeaway. Please. Every tradition begins as an innovation. Mm-hmm. And every innovation is built on the traditions 
before it. That's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, I've, I've got to do, I got I need to do some kind of t-shirt or something that, <laughs> that says that. Um, but it's true. It's true. And, 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 and another, another Jim Craven, uh, ism, if you will, is, is my, is my take on folk music, which is the idea. It's really more about folk process. In other words, it, it's a process more than it is a genre or, you know, whatever, because you can, it's, it's, you know, the idea of folk can exist in processing in theater and in, in, in storytelling and, you know, whatever in writing, any kind of creative landscape, dance, whatever you name it. And that is that folk music is the grand old tradition of perpetual transition. Hmm. Well, what do you mean perpetual transition? Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Um, all this, all this stuff about foundation, tradition, uh, uh, you know, the, the creation of something is all done along a timeline. And when, when something is, when, when, when a style, when something is created that becomes a style, Oftentimes it's very accidental, first of all, right? Mm -hmm. um, bluegrass, for example, bluegrass um, came out of a band leader with a vision. That's Bill Monroe. But also being an astute businessman and listener to things that were going to enhance the vision which that idea of vision is an innovative idea you know coming up with something that is going to be different than what the next guy's doing um and enhanced by uh being at the right place at the right time and that's what happened when bill monroe heard this young fellow from north carolina named earl scruggs the, and the way Earl was playing the banjo. Now, Earl didn't invent that idea, but he, what he did was he refined it to such an, such an electrifying level of, of, of finesse and, you know, speed and, um, and fire, you know, it was it, that it, it, it changed the gears of what everybody was doing in a string band. And you have to realize that Bill before Earl had people like string bean playing banjo and string bean was kind of doing this more frailing old time thing. Um, there are other players who messed around with finger picking the banjo and putting finger picks on, you know, Don Reno had a un wonderfully unique style. And of course, Ralph had a great style you know, there are all these different players that had different things, but this guy, Snuffy Jenkins in North Carolina was an inspiration for Earl. And then Earl took the more primitive idea of what a guy like Jenkins was doing and made this completely wild. It was a radical idea. It was a radical sound. And so Bill hires him and then everything else falls around that banjo. They see. So what I'm getting at is 
Bill is the father of bluegrass, but he was a band leader and had this vision. But it was Earl Scruggs who mechanically was was a, if not the principal game changer in the sound. Does that make sense? It does. It does saying? make sense. Yeah. It's really it, it's it, so. It's, it, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. No, it's. I want to come back to your question because your question is like perpetual transition. Then from where it goes, starts with, uh, so Earl's thing is born out of something else and, 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 and what other people are doing. Nothing is created in a bubble. People go, how in the hell could Mozart be writing complete symphonies, writing them out on paper and, and, and while he's hearing the whole thing at the same time when he's six years old? Yeah. Well, you have to realize this is not, this is not divinity. This is not something handed down from a higher power. He had a remarkable proclivity to be able to hear sound and then be able to, to his brain was such that he could, he could take that stuff in. he had a photographic mind of sound, but he was listening to classical music as an, as an infant. I mean, when, you know, as a toddler, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he, he didn't just come out of the woods raised by wolves and started writing complete symphonies sure. in, in his single digits. So that's, I mean, I'm just using that as an example. Really, I really believe pragmatically nothing's created in the bubble. You know, we all have some kind of fodder, some kind of raw material to work with, and then we move it forward. Well, so you go past Earl and you start getting guys like Bill Keith. Uh, who's starting to mess around with going from chromatic banjo to melodic banjo and changing up the way, you know, the content of what you play on the banjo, but also just even the movements upon upon the fingerboard and upon uh, the picking hand, the right hand. Um, And so what's happening is that within this tradition of bluegrass, quote unquote, you have perpetual development and growth and expansion off the idea of, you know, something that's more, you know, in other words, it's all perpetual transition. It's not, it, nothing is ever going to die. This is the big fear factor with traditionalists is that if all these young people playing jam band music are going to, are going to do that and not, pay homage to Earl or play, play the tradition. No one's going to carry it forward and it's going to die. And that's not true because there's always resurgence of subcategories of music and we've got it all recorded. Uh, you know, at a certain point we were able to start recording stuff. I mean, imagine, I mean, we don't really know what the music really truly sounded like during the time of Bach mm-hmm. or Mozart or any time mm-hmm. before wax cylinders. We have no idea. Yeah. You know, you've got the music scored out. I mean, that's the fascinating thing about early music groups is that they're all they can do is really speculate yep. on what the stuff really sounded like. You know, it's kind of cool. It's like trying to figure out what what is what was the real color of a T-Rex? Hmm. We don't really know, yeah. you know, and they're constantly, move, you know, finding things to try to you know expand on that. So the perpetual transition thing is the idea that it's an art form. This is art. This is music is art. It's not a craft. No, craft is the idea of taking a, an idea, but then 
predictably replicating it over and over again. Right. You know, um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really grow. You know, it doesn't embrace the idea that life, creative life begins outside your comfort zone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got all that. I mean, I know I'm just going on and on and on about this stuff, but it's all, this is what is so fascinating to me about, about creative process about music making in general is that all this stuff is constantly on the go, constantly moving. Um, and, um, it, 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 it's, it's why I do it and why I to zip ahead to modern times with me as a guy who's now 60 years old is I, I have, I really, I was making this comment to my wife earlier today. I really, it is the adage that the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I keep learning and keep having my mind blown every day with what is going on in the perpetual transition of creation, of creativity, of, of music and music making. You know, rock and roll was much easier to define in 1956 than it was in 1965. And so it would, so it went to 1976 and it, you get it. Yeah. You know, when things, the longer something is around, the longer it's had a chance to transition and grow and expand. It's like the canopy of an, of an old oak tree, you know? Um, and, 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 and so to put a button on all this, Here's another, here's another Joeism okay. is that music doesn't, does, music doesn't need labels as much as it needs opportunity. <laughs> opportunity to, to have a context to exist in other words. Yeah. Opportunity meaning just to be <laughs> right. Right. You know, um, just, 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 just to be, which, 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 which is an interesting thing. I mean, some of that you could argue begins with, having artists giving themselves permission to do something different, do something new. Yep. But then also the opportunity, meaning literally artists having opportunity to perform, to play out, to record, whatever. Um, and the thing that's so fascinating with me about that is like, it, like when you read reviews, like for instance, let's talk about jazz for a minute. You know, you talk about like downbeat, longstanding, mm -hmm uh publication to serve the world of jazz so you have your you have critics you have writers and yeah. people who listen and uh you know how so often there's this, there's always those historical anecdotes of of anyone who's really busting new ground like train um or monk though those two guys really come to mind in particular but you know, it's, it's, it's the same with a lot of people. They were, the critics in downbeat panned both of them when they first hit the scene. Not surprising. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and yet they had fans, they had people that would come out to the clubs and listen to them who were enthralled with what was going on and did not have a concern for needing to be told by a critic you need to go see this or hear this. And that's the beautiful thing about music. Really. I, I love it when music gains a foothold 
because it finds its audience. The audience finds it. And people people are not sitting around waiting to be told how to think mm-hmm. or what they should go, what they should go listen to. You Absolutely. Know, those are the, yeah, those are the jazz fans, you know, the Baroness who went and, and she was a, you know, the woman known as the Baroness who, who, who was a huge Parker fan, you know, that's, and he, and that's, that's where, that's where he died at her, her flat. Um, uh, Cause she was, she, 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 you know, she had some money and she was a huge fan of, of jazz and, and then just completely got absorbed in, into bop and, what these, you know, what, what, what Powell and, and Bird and Diz were doing and, you know, all the, all the stuff that shot off of that. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you know, the funny thing about all this, isn't it, isn't it amazing is I, you can tell with a guy like me, I love, I get so wrapped up in talking about all this stuff because it's really fascinating to me. You know, well, yeah. it's the kind of thing where we, we could sit and talk about it forever and we should. <laughs> I I love it when when musicians, which by the way, could be anybody. Sure. I mean that's a that's a whole other that's the that's the educator. Yeah, and me, and is, I, and I actually that's and, a whole separate conversation. Right. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> but I w- I would like um, to touch on that on that. But but uh, but finish but finish your thought. But anyway, yeah, no, it's a fascinating thing. So you know, I'm kind of you know you started out by saying, give me give me. Uh, Give me a, give me a, and, and you might've even used the word brief, <laughs> give, me, <laughs> give me your background. And, uh, and you can see that it really, it's just one, it's hard for me to do bullet points because every one of the, the little chapters in, in our lives, it, every little chapter in your life as an artist growing to be like, uh, to be a musician, to be a create, you know, person who's engaged in artful living has a, has a, has some really great stories behind it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. You know? And so, um, sometimes it's those little stories that are really of much more interest to me than sort of giving the bullet point. Yeah. No, I mean, that's data, data style thing. of. That's, that's kind of the point of this podcast really to, 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 to illuminate those in, in different, for different artists, but okay. So, uh, how did, so you, Last, last week, I'm, I'm curious to, if we could try to make the leap from, you know, you're at a picking, picking party, hearing this <laughs> David Grisman. And then I know that, you know, later you would play in his band for almost two decades. So, so how does, how does, you right. know, how do you, how does that transition c- come to? Well, okay. The real quick thing on that was, um, I had a, so I'm living out in California and I had an instrument that um i bought and i bought it reasonably but i was hard on i i I needed money um uh i had i had given up my day job um working uh you know doing working in art museums working in art galleries just you know that whole world and and shifted from the weekend warrior profile to um uh you know giving it all up to make literally hundreds of dollars annually playing folk music. <laughs> um, and uh, so I needed to sell this instrument and I just was putting the word out and um, I got a call from David Grisman 
And I was, you know, of course, completely starstruck and tongue-tied and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, but he was interested in the instrument. It was a, it was a beautiful uh, mandocello. And, uh, and so he invited me over to his house. And, of course, I'm just like, you know, peeing in my pants. I'm so excited. And I, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm in my 20s. And, and uh, come over to his house, bring the instrument. Um, he checks it out. And he says, so you play. I said, well, yeah, you know, a little bit. And uh, so he says, you know, let's pick. You want, you know, you want to play a little. So we started playing. I he let me play some of his instruments, and you got to imagine I'm doing all I can to just kind of completely keep myself from just, you know, sort of imploding. Sure. Um, yeah, I can. I can and, imagine. Uh, but it was. Yeah, it was very exciting. You know, it was great because he was because he was at that. I mean, he was like a. He was like a musical hero. He was—he had really guided me into some other areas that really became a, a part of the foundation of where I wound up. Um, and then he realized, oh, you can play mandocello. Well, what about mandola? Well, yeah, sure, I play that. And mandolin, yes. So I can play the family, mando family. And then um, I was just—I was just starting to learn to play fiddle. So I was still a pretty—you know—I was very novice, but I could get around on it well enough and that he was impressed and then the final clincher was he realized that i was a budding percussionist mm. but i was really into found sound and you know playing playing fiddle cases and you know doing a lot of mouth stuff and just whatever and uh and and so that that meeting so he so he bought the instrument got a great deal <laughs> He was, he, he's always good at that, you know, um, consummate <laughs> businessman. And he also really knows the market well. And all okay. That stuff. Yeah. But he, but he bought, he, so he bought the instrument, which was great. Cause I was like, I could say, wow, David Grisman bought my mandocello. You know, mm-hmm. very exciting. Um, and, um, but we made a connection as, as a musician to a musician with that meeting. And then, uh, that began a process where we started, he started inviting me to come sit in with his group. Um, and, uh, the next thing I know, I get a call from his management asking me to join his quintet. And yeah, that was the beginning of a, a long, uh, uh, amazing, uh, relationship. Wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, jump out of that story for a minute because I, I just got to ask, um, how do you, I, I'm, I'm kind of dazzled by multi-instrumentalists because I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm primarily a drum set player and, and, but can play some percussion and, you know, I can dabble on piano and guitar, but, but as far as like actually on a performance level, I really feel like, uh, you know, it's really just about drums and, and I could, uh, and how, how do you, how, how are you able to learn uh, and, and maintain such a high level on so many different, uh, you know, not just mandolin and fiddle, which are related, but different techniques, but also percussion and, uh, your vocalist and, uh, not to mention all the other things you do, but even just in, a, in, in the music, how do, how do you do all that and have it be a high level? Um, well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. Um, I don't really have an easy answer for that. Um, 
I, I always tell my students, spend a lot of time listening because it's really about musicality more than skill set that is going to deliver the eggs and what you do. Um, that, you know, I, 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 I could distill this down to a, to a, to a, to a story of, of, uh, that I heard. So it's, I always tell it in a very paraphrased kind of way, um, about, uh, Herbie Hancock having done a residency at a, at a jazz conservatory. And, um, and then he gives the, uh, the address to the, to the graduating class you know, at the commencement. And he, he's, he's telling everything he's speaking to, you know, you know, families and, and parents and the, and the faculty and the administration and, and, and the students. And he's saying, you know, he's, he's saying, God, it's been great hanging out with these, you know, incredible players and, you know, people, you know, have been hanging out with you guys. We've having these classes and watching you guys, you know, you, you know, shedding in your, in your practice cubicles for hours a, a day and every day and, all the intense theory and all this. And, and he, and then he, he kind of stops and there's this, lo- there's this moment of silence. And then he, he looks around the room and then he looks at the students and he says, as you, as you, as you move forward from this day, don't forget to be musical. Hmm. And apparently you could, you know, it was one of those things where you could like hear a pin drop. I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's a takeaway. That's huge. It it you is, know, but it's also le- it's also le- very le- elusive. Learning to be learning to be musical allows you the the conduit by which to move through your day practicing music. This is not the same thing as practicing t- mechanical skill set to tools. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's an important category, but it's separate in my mind, Ezra. So it's separate. I'm 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 really interested in this. Can can you can you elaborate on on how you might move through your day uh, practicing music or musicality? Yeah, um, I've I've got tunes and songs running through my head a lot all the okay. time. When I'm walking, uh, I've got my analog metronome going and it's an opportunity for me to work through something in my head so you'll just Sing, walk and, and have, have your metronome have your metronome go on your walk and just humming in tune yeah to that. my walk is my yeah my walk is my metronome right oh okay no, okay not you're not actually playing ah. met- okay got it no no see that's the thing you are the music got it not the tools that you know i'm i i always promote if you, if you, and I never take it for granted. And I always tell my students, don't ever take this for granted that you, it is a gift for you to be able to walk without any kind of impairment, walk in a perfect rhythmic metronomic gait every day of your life. You know, it's, it's, and, and, and I, and I feel that and I own that when I realize that there are people that can't do that. And it's not, the, and, and that, that doesn't mean that they can't be musical or be brilliant musicians because they are, sure. but they have to, you know, they have this other way of, 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 you know, they have these other amazing ways of, of addressing it. But, um, the, the metronom, a metronomic walk 
is way is way better than turning on a metronome of sound because uh, it's explicitly felt your walk. Mm. You don't hear it. You feel it. <sighs> that is huge. That's an explicit, ex, explicit expression because what you're doing when you have a, when you have a, an, a sound metronome is you're, you're receiving it. You're connecting with it implicitly, not explicitly. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there static in your chair or standing up, not moving, and you're listening to the pulse. Then you have to translate that in your brain, and then you have to make it explicitly felt with subdivisions with your outermost digits, your hands your, and or your feet, whatever, you know, like if you're, if you're a drummer. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, so for me, the idea of walking is such a really great way to just grab that moment where <laughs> you can, as we all sort of jokingly talk about uh, the pluses and minuses of the idea of multitasking. Mm-hmm. It's not really multitasking. It's, it's, it's not multitasking. You know, I'm sort of being flip about it, but it's, it's the idea of I'm, I'm in a moment where I'm moving somewhere. I'm going from point A to point B. And unless I'm like having conversation with a friend or something, I have an opportunity to practice music. Um, when I hear frequencies, you know, I hear the hum of an appliance or I hear, you know, the Doppler effect of an airplane flying overhead. I love to sing to that, to practice my intonation mm. and to realize that the Doppler effect of the sound being bent as, as the plane goes away, it, it, tracking, the tracking thing. It's just like learning to follow somebody when you're jamming with people you haven't jammed with before, made music with before, like we did at the Ivy. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. um, so, uh, so where I'm, where I'm going with all of this is that, uh, first of all, notes are negotiable. Pulse isn't. So the yeah. whole idea for me of movement, which is, which is the idea of how to index, how to index sound over a timeline, that's rhythm or the idea of rhythm is, is, is paramount. You know, notes are negotiable. They are. Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah. I'll, I'll argue with, I'll argue with that with anybody, any, any day. And it's liberating to give that to musicians because students, because I mean, we're all students, we, we get too caught up in the precious, what I call the preciousness of notes. Um, if I make, if I play a note, I didn't intend to play. Uh, that is the Joe Craven definition of a creative mistake. <laughs> it is a temporary loss of control. Sure. But it's, it's it, the good news is that it's temporary, but the better news is that it's loss of control because <laughs> <laughs> that's where, that's where the new shit comes from. That's where it comes it, from. And it's, and it's how you respond to that moment. It, do you view it as a mistake or do you view it as an opportunity? Exactly. Exactly. Because right. And then, and then we can sit and talk about the whole idea of recovery and how to to you know imbibe that loss of that temporary loss of control into the rest of the music. Mm-hmm. Because when you make the quote mistake, you've made it and it's gone. You've now moved. You've instantly moved on to the next thing, mm-hmm. the next piece of information. So it's really more what happens after you've done that, rather than feeling any sense of the idea of dwelling on it. Right. Because the music doesn't wait for you. Right. Yeah. As we know. Yeah. 
you have to, you know, so what is, what's said after that can actually be something that can even be, I mean, you can, you know, it's, that's where the crack up line, if you make the mistake, quote unquote, play it, play it again, right. Play it twice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, yeah. So it, um, the whole idea of all of this stuff is, is, um, gets into the whole realm of improvisation and how practicing music in spontaneous ways, using all that you have in the moment, which may just be you, your voice, your body, um, and what your body, you know, the sounds that can be generated from your body as you're moving. All of that is what I call incremental practice, it's incremental learning. And you can be doing this like little snippets of time. It could be just seconds long. It could be a minute long. It could be whatever. And, but it, it's the idea of, of being musical through your day so that by the time you sit down and pr- practice your instrument, quote unquote, I mean, you're the instrument. So, you, so when you sit down and work on these other instruments, the incremental stuff is the real, it, for me, is the musicality stuff. That's how to be musical. Make sense? It does. So the tools, yeah, the, the tools are the skill set part of it. That's, you know, and that's a whole other separate important discipline. Mm-hmm. Did, did you spend, you must have spent a lot of time on that side of things too, or? Um, yes and no. I mean, I have no formal training beyond my Mel Bay guitar book. Okay. But you're able to communicate with musicians of the highest level. So yes, sonically only sonically only. I do not read music. I have no real sense of theory in music. I don't even relate to the Nashville numbers. Interesting. Yeah. Has that presented challenges to you? Oh yeah, absolutely. And challenges that you can overcome. Right. And challenges that um, it creates limited, you know, I'm not proud of the fact that I can't do that, that I cannot do that. And that's an important thing to understand. I'm not proud of that at all. Learning to read music and to study theory and to, you know, do all those things. And, you know, and even to take lessons, studying skill set, technique on an instrument are all invaluable. They're great and it's important. And I promote it. I mean, I promote to students, you know, I think learning to read is, is a great thing. I don't think it's a good idea to learn to read out the gate. Okay. I don't think that's good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, paper dependency is another kind of limit limitation. You know, I have limitations because I can't go to the paper, but I do improv private lessons with people who have technical proficiency light years over me mm. and who hunger to be, to have the freedom in music making that I have. Yeah. It, so when you first started, so it's, yeah, when you first started developing yourself and, and I, and I really like that analogy of, of you are the instrument, by the way, that's, I'm going to have to dwell on that yeah, more, but, cool. um, where, where did, was it, was it, how did, how did you first start to discover how to teach yourself how to be good at music? 
Was it just by playing with people? Was it? Yeah. Problem solving in the moment. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's a need to be filled. So you don't go, Oh, we don't have anybody that can do that. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, get off my ass and, and do it, Mm -hmm. you know, or figure out a way to make this happen. That's how I wound up starting to play fiddle is I was in a little trio and, and, uh, I was just playing mandolin and we needed a fiddle player and couldn't find one. It's like, well, they're tuned the same, mm-hmm. you know, come on. So I kind of like took the personal challenge and revisited and overcame that thing I had when I watched my high school sweetheart, you know, practice her classical playing. It's interesting though, because I, I feel like you're, when I first heard you uh, play violin at at the Ivy Room, I was sitting right next to you. I, I was like floored by is the the moment you started playing. Just the 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 sound. Your tone was so magnificent. I was just, I was kind of blown away. And and I, you know, when I when I hear somebody oh, well, sound you. like that, I, I I just imagine they you know spend all this time you know refi- kind of working on that tone. Uh, and I'm I'm trying in and and sound. And well, I'm, I mean here. Go, yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's something to propose to you about okay. that is that I've been playing, I was playing, like I said, I started playing fiddle, you know, not too, uh, uh, not too far back from when I, when I started working for David Grisman, which is, which is something else that kind of floors people and kind of floors me too. But, um, cause I wasn't, I, I was surprised that he wanted me to be in that chair. But he was looking for a multi-instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. You know, he saw a, a lot of advantages for me to cover a lot of ground. But um, I, you know, I mean, I'm 60 now. So, I, you know, I feel like if anything, my feet, my, my sense of sort of tone and stuff, I mean, a lot of things have matured over time. You know, my own playing has transitioned and has gotten better and whatnot. But, but you know, I spent a lot of time listening to players and watching them. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go, I used to go out when I was younger and I had more time on my hands or the, the perception of more time on my hands. I went and watched a lot of music and watched players. I remember going and watching Stefan Grappelli any time that he came around with or without Grisman. And I learned so much from just watching him play, you know, um, and I, and, you know, and I took, I took a liking to things that were sort of swing and swing jazz and, you know, and, I, and the blues. I love playing the blues on the fiddle too. That's a little more of a niche thing, mm-hmm. really. but, um, but yeah, it's all about listening and being in it, you know? Uh, and I've, it, I, cause I really think that's the, that's musicality. That's the stuff that's deep and you can't really not, people can't teach other people that. They can give them the tools of what to do with that, but it's it's sort of like being a visual artist held up in your studio for days. It's very self-indulgent work. Yep, sure. You you really have to spend a lot of time just doing a lot of really deep listening and feeling. You have to feel it all. And that's why I love improvisational music. I mean, I my favorite, my happy place 
is to not is to be playing music I haven't heard before. That's my happy place. So, so how would you go about? How would you go about? Uh, I know I know you work a lot with with uh, with children in, in music education. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And what what it, what is hmm. your approach to that? I should point I should point out though Ezra that I, that I, it's you know I actually work with adults as much as kids. And okay. Actually, these. These sure. days, working with adults more than kids. But, okay. But well, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to. Little, well, actually, little, yeah. Little, I mean, my question is is actually, but. yeah, I'm more interested in just your general approach to education uh, rather than specific age group. I love info. I love informal. I love informal learning, okay. and I say I love it because it's really the only one I've known. So I'm not, I'm not making a, a judgment call on, yeah. on formal learning, um, but informal learning is great because it has no prerequisites. You embrace where somebody is and you move them forward from there. Um, We all learned how to talk really well by the time we were four. Um, Improvising, um, speaking based on, you know, a, a vocabulary that kept, you know, that would grow over time. So that by the time your vocabulary, you know, you know, you're reflecting a vocabulary at seven that is much broader than at four. Sure. But your expression, the way you would express your content at four is magical. Mm. And you actually become more monotone and less melodic. Mm. You, one could argue mm. as you become older. Um, and. I, I use that, that notion of speech as a way to, to establish common ground when I'm, when I do my, I do improvisation group classes on improvisation and, and, uh, and they're not skill set classes. I mean, they're not, sorry, they're not ability based classes. That's what I meant to say. Um, meaning uh, you can have beginners in there and you can have advanced people and I'm going to embrace everybody in the class where they are and move them forward from there with the way I teach the class. And the, to get back to the speech thing, we all learned how to do this talking thing. And it was the expression as much as the words that we saw the value of when we were youngest. Um, and th- that did not precede literacy. That did not precede literacy. Uh, I mean, it, it did precede I'm being dyslexic. It okay. preceded yeah. literacy. Yeah. yeah, Literacy did not precede that. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah my, my tired little brain right now. Um, yes. Uh, you, in other words, literacy was not a prerequisite. You didn't need to learn how to read to improvise and speak with this organized sound language of yep. spoken word. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are, the world has been filled for, for, for the ages with incredible storytellers who have an incredible ability to, you know, with vocabulary of, of varying degrees to, to tell a story in a compelling, magical way. And they're illiterate. I, I, I played with a guy on and off for years who's from Mali, 
Isak Kamale Ngoni player, great guy, speaks five languages fluently and is illiterate in all of them. He's mm. just now learning English so that he can get a driver's license kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of informal, informal, informally learned stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of it because, again, that's how I learned. And so it's a very empowering thing, especially when you work in the folk community, in the vernacular community, because you can have people really realize, no, you don't. Don't beat yourself up if learning how to read music is just driving you nuts and you feel like it's not getting you to where you want to be. Learning to be musical, that playful, incremental way of spending time being musical, like I was talking about before, mm -hmm. that gives you gratification that you can grab onto from the very beginning so that you understand so so that you feel empowered and feel excited of from being musical not from learning a certain amount of quantitative data in music in other words yeah. i want kids to sing folk songs and make rhythms and sing together and give them parts you know divide the group up and give them different parts and have them singing harmonies and listening to themselves and going holy shit man this is like this is so fun and there's no paper and it's like, I'm just doing it. And wow, this is music too. You know, this is, this is awesome. So that then see it, this follows another great quote. This one's not mine. This, this comes from Yates education. And I'm going to paraphrase it. I, I kind of like to customize it a little bit. Okay. Education is when it's at its best is not the, fill, the filling of a bucket. It's the lighting of a fire. Hmm. We Light the fire. Yates. Yates. Yeats. Yeah. And, you know, and he said something very similar to that. I, like I said, I kind of like to kind of hot rod it a little bit to drive, drive it home the way I like to, but, but that's it. Basically he's talking about the difference between lighting a fire and filling a bucket. You know, if you light the fire first, then you understand why you're filling the bucket. Hmm. If, and that's and that's an interesting aspect of formal education is that you spend time filling the bucket and then after you fill the bucket long enough, then the spark gets lit and you and all that quantitative data comes into play and it's like oh ah okay now I get it right right now but, I've learned enough stuff that, but you know, but not now, everyone now the, now the, yeah. not everyone gets there when they've had the bucket filled for so many years yeah uh, there's 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 plenty plenty of, of burnout, academic burnout. Yeah. I, I've given talks at, 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 at music, music schools, universities with some music majors, you know, graduate students, all these people. And I've talked about this very topic and it's about intention. And I've, I've had students come up kind of almost in tears mm -hmm. afterwards kind of saying, Oh my God, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks for saying these things because I have been so confused or fried or both. Uh, and just asking myself, damn, what am I? I've lost touch maybe with what brought me here in the first place or whatever. You know, so I mean, what, what, what kind of things would you, would you, what kind of things would you say that would, that would move a student to, uh, to, to tears in that way 
in one of well, these talks. Well, it's it's it it it, it, it is all, you know it's 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 huge, and I'm not gonna yeah you know, I I can't I can't distill it down to a convenient thing for you right okay, now. Okay, sure. But but I will yeah no it's okay it's just you know it's um I have to be careful sometimes about sort of you know giving you bullet point ans- answers for some of these things because some of these things are huge, you know. Um, Noted. Yeah. I'm, uh, right. I'm, so. Um, but basically, what, I will say this to you uh, about that, and that is don't, don't forget, check in with yourself on your journey as to your intention and, and, and realizing and be forgiving of the, of the idea that your intention can also evolve itself, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's just one thing to, you know, I mean, but I can, I can talk for an hour about intention, <laughs> but I'm not going to do that right now. Where is your intention these days as far as with, with all that you're doing? What, what you, you do so much, you. Well, I have a hand. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think my, you know, to, to, to quote a line to quote and, and readapt a line from Peter Pan. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to grow up. I just want to keep on growing. Mm. That, that last line is my addendum. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I don't, that's, that's, not... it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the destination. It's the journey thing. That's just another way of looking at that is that sure. I don't want to feel like I'm done. Or that I'm a grown up, or I, or you know, um, and I never want to feel like, um, you know, that an, an, another line, another ism attached to that is the idea that for me, a master is a great student. Mm-hmm. A master is not somebody that's you know done learning. My intentions are basically to keep keep growing, keep learning. I'm humbled by all this stuff just freaks me out, but that's the, that's the allure. That's the, that's the magic. That's the beauty of it. Um, every time I get to do it, it's a gift. It's for myself. And if I can, if I can share that, that incredible gift or that, that, I mean, the gift of being able to do it with other people, um, so that they can bring it into themselves in their own way. Like, gravy it's great it's fantastic i make my living at it so i have to ascribe a dollar value to what i do um and that's sometimes perpetuated by me and many times perpetuated perpetuated by other people (laughs) as we all know is that uh Um, is that but that's you know is that an area that that is um has any tension or conflict for you Oh no! I mean no, and, and I and I said all that with a with a little bit of a tongue in a cheek. Um, you know, kids sometimes when I do a school assembly or something, they'll say, "Hey man, how much money do you make?" You know, they have this thing, this stereotype thing with like, you know, are you famous? Right. You know, do you make a lot of money? You know, and 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 my answer, of course, is to sidestep the question by saying, "Let me put it this way: if I wasn't making a dime." doing what I do, I would still be doing it. Yeah. And they go, they go, Whoa, Mm. (laughs) you know, 
Um, and, 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 and that's a, that's an important takeaway for kids. You know, I've said this to my children, you know, we've raised four kids and Hattie's the last one at home, um, is that, uh, you know, you have, you've got to, you've got to find your bliss, man. Find, find out what, you know, and we all know this, we all know these lessons is that you've got to, you've got to find stuff that really makes you feel alive, really, that you really enjoy and then and then uh and then just figure out how to make money at it but but do it in that order yeah yeah right don't say i want to do something cuz cuz it's going to make a, it's it's going to make a lot of money it's not that it's going to make a lot of money it's about you figuring out how to make the money that you want to make mm-hmm. i mean i could have i could have made i could be making and could have made a lot more money going into other areas other than playing music, but I wouldn't, I would never change anything. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know? Yeah. Joe, uh, man, I, I, uh, I don't, I, I, can, can we just do, can you just come, can we just do this again sometime? Cause <laughs> this is a great conversation. <laughs> sure. I know we're going, sure, uh, man. you know, over, but I mean, I'd love to, I just, I feel like you have so much to share and so many stories and there's, there's a lot of, things I wanted to touch on that I think would, you know, that we, that would, yeah, our whole other conversation. So maybe, um, but anyway, I I really appreciate your time and, and, and you're, (laughs) you're very welcome, Ezra. And listen, man, I appreciate you doing what you, you do with this. Yeah. Uh, you know, connecting people and content to an audience, uh, to, uh, to uh, you know, uh, maybe inspire them or totally. just inform them about things that can then maybe help shape and guide where they're heading. Well, thank you so much. You're and, very and, welcome, and we'll do it again. Yeah. Okay, man. All righty. So there you have it. That's Joe. I, I hope you enjoyed that. A lot to be taken from that conversation, obviously. So. Um, and, and, uh, and like I said, I hope we can do it again sometime because I'm sure there's, Joe, there's a lot more we could talk about. So I look forward to a date in the future when we can do that. Thanks so much for your support. Keep, keep saying hello. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It really helps, helps people find the podcast. Please keep sharing this. Let me know guests you'd like to see on, things that you think I could be doing better. I'm, try, I'm trying to make it better with every episode. I'm, I'm learning more about how the audio works, trying to get better sound, trying to get better gear and all that. It takes time and money, so it's going to be a process, but I uh, appreciate your patience while we're still in the beginning stages of this. Thanks again, Joe, for doing this. And um, yeah, lots of, lots of exciting interviews coming up that I've already recorded, as well as musicians I've been connecting with. So stay tuned weekly episodes every Monday or Tuesday, more or less. And I will see you down the road. Take care, everyone, and good night.